Hello, and welcome to the Cash News Podcast, informative conversations about all things currency and cash. We'll share insights on the issues affecting the world of cash today, like cash security, payments technology, and the cash supply chain. Your hosts, Tom Meehan and Sean Ferrari, hope to inform industry professionals and support better cash security and management by sharing the latest information on trends, strategies, and technology. This is the Cash News Podcast. Now, here's Tom and Sean. Well, hello, everybody. We're back again. Cash News. I don't know what episode it is. Sean, do you have any idea what episode it is? Uh, 28. I have no idea. We're, we're around 30. Yes. <laughs> 30, could be 29, could be 35. We're not even sure. As always, joined by Sean Ferrari, the amazing, the great. I'm excited to be here. What do we want to tell everybody? Children? Uh, there are no children, right? No, today? we shouldn't hear any children today. There's no significant others here out getting their hair done today. I got my nice. hair done today, by the way. I will say from a payments perspective, what I thought was interesting when I was getting my hair done, go to the same place and usually... Usually I charge it. I know they don't like that too much, but I do I do tend to charge it. For the first time ever that I've gone to this place, there was an ATM in the facility, just this little barber shop. They still would take credit, but they were really kind of pushing to go use the ATM. So wow. I'm curious to see how that evolves. Anyway, just FYI. Well, that's an awesome kind of point because it, are they looking at the money they're going to make from the footprint of the ATM in their spot? Right. Or are they worried about credit card fees? Or are they trying to keep more cash in hand? I mean... Awesome stuff. We do have a different person here today, Noel Thomas. We're going to introduce him in a few minutes. I just, we'll, we'll get into it with zero traffic in just a second. But Sean, so uh, I'm in the office today. So no children, no dogs. I know you, I heard a barking dog before. So we might, I like to throw it out there. And you guys just had an event, didn't you? Like I, I saw it on LinkedIn. I'm not sure where it was. Yeah, yeah, it was in Istanbul. It was a cash cycle seminar for Europe, Middle East, Africa. And it was in Istanbul last week. So it just wrapped up. It went really well. I was not there. My colleague, Tom Mitchell, looked after that one and, and ran that one. But he had about 170 or so people there. Um, and I think it was around 30 plus countries and stuff that that ended up coming. So it was good numbers. Um, still, you know, not quite where we were pre-COVID, but hey, it's it's rebounding. So we're, we're happy to see that. A lot of good discussions, everybody, as always with all these events, right? Everybody was just happy to, to get together and talk and see each other again. So it was good. Yeah, we got that. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a payments event in Athens, Greece at the end of the month. So we're awesome. we're super excited for that. Um, anyway, I know we have a guest this, this week. I don't want to yeah. delay getting over to to a really interesting topic for us. If Tom Mitchell's listening, there's a couple of things. One, if, if Sean was running the event, there'd be a thousand people in more countries. Oh, nice. Two, I like it. I like it. And two, <laughs> Tom, you need to be on the podcast. I know you listen, so you need to come on the podcast. <laughs> oh, he'll, don't, oh, he'll come on the podcast. Yeah, let, let's get him on there. So, what, what, you know, now that we've, we've had uh, Noel listening to our banter, I'm really excited both personally and professionally to welcome Noel Thomas with Zero Trafficking. Noel and I have had the pleasure and I've had the opportunity to really work with zero trafficking on, on a whole bunch of different things. So I'm really, really excited. It's important to really note that they're kind of a one of a kind. I'm going to let Noel, why don't, why don't you tell the listeners, since we are taping this a couple of weeks in advance, so the LinkedIn and kind of the social isn't out yet. So why don't you tell the listeners kind of who you are and what is zero trafficking? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks, Tom and Sean. I'm Noel Thomas. I'm the CEO of Zero Trafficking. And, and our whole mission is to disrupt human trafficking networks by following the cash and following how they operate and the logistics. And so 
we've brought a lot of different intelligence practices together to go after human trafficking and, and work with some really great partners to disrupt the global slave trade. We met several years ago, but I, I often get asked the question, even to this day, when when I'm speaking about human trafficking or mentioning some of your trafficking, it's a question that everybody, I even think Sean asked me this question, is how did I get involved? So I think it's important. And I, actually, you tell the story better than me. I think it's a cause, obviously, I feel really strongly about. But why don't you give the listeners just how we connected and what we do together? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's been a long journey to, uh, to get here in the counter-trafficking fight. I started in a rock and roll band playing uh, the guitar and thought I was gonna bring back the 80s and, and they didn't come back, but uh, we were on tour internationally, all in Europe. And I get this flyer on human trafficking where I learned that there's 32 million people enslaved around the world. And so this becomes a passion. I go to India, I see this 14 year old girl that's being trafficked and, and law enforcement helping facilitate the sale. So this launched a, a, a lifetime endeavor to, uh, to fight against human trafficking and, and bring the latest innovation to the fight against modern day slavery. But while we were looking at some of the human trafficking groups uh, that we track, we noticed that they go to traditional big box retail stores. And we were actually able to track when they were going to these stores. And so uh, I started looking online to see if anyone had written about the overlap of human trafficking and organized retail crime. And there was only one article in existence, and that was Tom Meehan's article. And so I thought, you know, I have to reach out to this guy and hear his his thoughts on this, because this is so out of left field from what I've seen and been working with. And now we're starting to see this trend emerge, but no one's talking about it. Uh, and so I think I reached out to you on, on LinkedIn. And now we've had the opportunity to do several webinars and speaking engagements together to educate Fortune 500 companies on how they too can track human trafficking and join the fight against modern day slavery. Wow, that's fascinating. And it doesn't surprise me that if there's one person to write about a topic, I don't care what it is, it will be Tom. But no, that's that's amazing. I'm eager to, to hear more about it because like you said, I, I've never really drawn the connection between big box retail or retail and and human trafficking as, as like a, a combination. So I'm just really interested to hear more about it. <laughs> Yeah, Tom, I'll let you take this one. Down. You've, seen, you've yeah. seen it firsthand, and this is the expert on the nexus between and organized retail crime. Yeah, so it, and it's funny. I, I saw Sean's face when he said it because Sean was like, "Of course, Tom wrote about it." It actually is one of those ones that I didn't intend on writing about. It was several years ago, and I was involved at the time. I managed. I think I managed all the investigations for the organization, and I happened to, believe it or not, just be at a location during an investigation and what kind of to shorten the story, there was several weeks of substantial fraud. I mean, I think it was $35 million worth of credit card fraud at, at, at this time, covering the whole entire East Coast. And it was, from my perspective, when I at first glance, kind of a typical counterfeiting ring. And this was before Uber. So like, I think it's important to know it because it was a different time. So there were key things that we saw, which was like, in metropolitan stores, there would be a group in a Liberty cab or a black car get dropped off with lists, really good fake ideas. But there were some commonalities. One of the commonalities is that they were almost exclusively females. The age gap was from like 18 to like 50, all Asian females. And these were crime, crimes where we thought it was a counterfeiting ring. We kept making apprehensions. We kept having arrests made. 
and the dollar amount just kept getting larger and larger. And there were kind of a few things that were unique. One uh, was that they had just had a tremendous amount of data about people. So they were getting really, really good ideas, which is not common in a counterfeiting ring, which really good ideas usually are expensive. And the folks that we were catching almost as exclusively didn't have papers. They were from another country. They didn't speak English. This was ongoing for a while. When I was in the store, there was a large group of people and there was actually a male with them. And um, we just, the, the store was doing the investigation and they stopped a, a whole group of people. And I was there and, and there's kind of, as I learned about human trafficking later, all this makes perfect sense. It didn't at that point is out of the group, there were two people that were afraid. And, and if you've ever been involved in arrest and interrogation, everybody's uncomfortable and afraid, but there were two individuals out of the whole group that were visibly afraid. There's just no other way to describe it. Like they were in fear for their lives. So we separated the individuals. And I remember this vividly. And I tell this story about the males. The male was relatively dressed normal, except he had really, really, really expensive shoes and a really expensive watch. And as someone that likes watches, I said, no guys, that's not like, that's not a Rolex. That's not a patent. That is a, you know, there's three in the world watch and his shoes are $12,000. Something's wrong. And all of these women were wearing white t-shirts, ripped up clothing, and we separated them. And out of the group, only one person was talking. And I remember this vividly. We had someone that translated and the translator was a cosmetics associate. And she said, she says, what she's saying is not making sense. She just keeps talking about her brother being in danger and we don't understand. And as I was listening to the conversation, I said, well, just ask her, what, what, what does she mean? And then he has my brother, he has my family, you don't understand, you don't understand. And what ended up turning out to be was a true uh, forced labor crime. And I didn't even know what forced labor was at the time. I always thought of human trafficking immediately to sex trafficking. And what it was, was there was a group of folks that were in a real, a, a real criminal nexus. And Noel talks about how the crimes interact, where the case did get federally indicted and led to 31 arrests. And when you look at the checkbox of crime, they were involved in car theft, drug trafficking, underground dance clubs and gambling clubs in, in New York. Like, I mean, this was a full criminal, organized criminal group that retail crime was just a part of what they did. And the sad part about the case, and this is when I really learned about it, was that the person who originally gave information became an uncooperating witness in the end. Literally everything that you, when you read about, they were involved in all of it. And what kind of intrigued me is in retail, none of us knew what to do. We didn't know about it. And we all you know, read, read about it, but it was kind of an eye-opening experience in the forced labor piece. And prior to that, you would say, oh, that person's a mule, that person's a runner. And usually runners are influenced by drugs, but not always, where they're traded something. And in this case, based on the information, these were folks that were being forced to work in restaurants, forced to do shoplifting, literally forced to do regular labor jobs. And it was a fairly horrific event for me, because what I realized is that outside of the 31 arrests, there was nothing that could be done. These people were basically it was a victimless uh, a crime and law enforcement wanted to help them, but couldn't because they they weren't able to even allow them to help themselves. So I wrote an article and Noah and I reached out. I've, I've since written another one. And I, I researched it and volunteered with a couple organizations to really just spread the word of just how big of a problem it is. And, you know, to highlight that not only is it sex trafficking, but it's forced labor, but that criminals commit crimes. And as someone that spent their, 
you know, 25 years in the prevention crime, whether it be on this side or that side, it was like, this is a big subset of the criminal network that people don't want to talk about because it is sometimes taboo. It's also hard to understand. And in today's, you know, for the podcast piece, as someone that 50% or 60% of my life is in the financial sector and the others in retail, the reality is that Noel's definitely the expert here is there's a huge, actually the largest probably anti-money laundering element of any crime that exists. And, you know, Noel's definitely the expert here, but you're talking $150 billion of money that has to get washed, you know, because you can't claim it. That's how we met. I wish there was a better story. I wish I could say that I watched him at the band and, and followed him. Not only am I honored to be a part of trying to help it out, but, you know, just a phenomenal, great, great group of individuals that have a cause that really is, is good for everybody. So Noel, I mean, did I miss anything there? No, you crushed it, Tom. So because the listeners here are really predominantly going to be in the financial and, and the cash, why don't you talk a little bit about what zero trafficking does with some of the larger financial institutions so that it ties it back to what our listeners are, are learning or would want to know about? Absolutely. So you, you mentioned the, you know, the $150 billion that has to be washed, and it's expected that human trafficking will become the largest illicit trade. If you think about it, you can sell that kilo of cocaine once, but you can sell that victim of trafficking. 20 times per day. So to them, it's a renewable commodity. And you see Crimes Inc. as a whole moving quickly into human trafficking. So Boko Haram and ISIS and other cartels and, and organized crime because it's so lucrative and profitable. And because it's been a humanitarian issue for a long time, we haven't really followed the money or put alerts or, or transaction and account monitoring in place. And so what we did is we took military techniques in the war on terror and applied it to the framework of finding the financing of human traffickers. And so proactively, we built these scrapers that go through the web, uh, everything on the open web. This is freely available information where these traffickers are, are advertising and, and purchasers and buyers are, are making reviews. But for us, this is really rich in intelligence and creates an opportunity for us to proactively scrape this and then we've got a team of analysts that are trained in open source intelligence and, and geospatial analysis. Uh, we start plotting this on a map and showing the hot spots of, of human trafficking. So the branches will take those hot spots and start looking to see uh, where their bank branches are, are located in proximity to these hot spots, so they can start rolling out training policies and procedures there. The other thing that we do is we provide this curated list of thirty thousand suspected illicit enterprises connected to human trafficking, and they can take that list and run it against their accounts and transactions to see if they, they're doing business with them. What a lot of these banks don't realize is the, the liability under specified unlawful activity laws and, and uh, anti-money laundering laws, that there's a lot of liability of, of banking with these human traffickers unknowingly. And we're always surprised by the level of both regional and global banks that didn't realize that they were interacting with some of the human traffickers that we're looking at. That is interesting. And I think that's, it's not uncommon, I think, for a lot of, a lot of banks, particularly, I mean, there's so many banks in the U.S., right, and of all different sizes. I mean, the, the large guys, I like to think, have some sort of better handle on it. Maybe not. We don't have to name bank names. But nonetheless, I, I would like to think that they have a better handle on it. But there's, what, over 5,000 banks in the U.S. And I'm sure 
after you get through those top 10 or 15, kind of the awareness of what to look for. We see it on everything, whether it's counterfeiting, whether it's just normal BSA, AML type type activities, the, the knowledge doesn't necessarily evenly make it down to, to some of the smaller ones. So I can see how in this arena, it, it's similar. Have you seen anything? I mean, I, obviously there's more and more different types of payments coming out all the time. And we often hear there's digital currencies and crypto and, and all that sort of stuff. Have you seen in this area any any adoption of those other payments? Is it is it truly making it easier to transact than cash or not so much? Or I don't know, just any thoughts on the different different forms of payments that are out there now? Traditionally, this is going to be a very cash heavy business. Um, and so they'll, they'll use cash often. But we are, to your point, starting to see this trend where cryptocurrency is being used. Uh, both on the laundering side and the transacting side or sending payments cross-border. Uh, we see that sometimes with the, the BTMs, uh, the Bitcoin ATMs that are used to transmit money. And, uh, you know, someone will walk up to a BTM with $30,000 in, in cash and then uh, transmit that overseas. So I think we're going to see a rise in crypto and and there's groups like, you know, Chainalysis and CypherTrace that are, are really looking at the money laundering that occurs via these crypto transactions. And we've had several big busts over the last two years, one of them being the Hydra market where a lot of illicit activity was occurring. And so they took that, they had that takedown and started to see how, you know, weapons, drugs and, and uh and other illegal goods are sold on, on the dark web using cryptocurrency. As the listeners, I think just using my own example and back when we had that case, I think anecdotally, my team knew about it, but really didn't understand the forced labor piece at all. They didn't understand just how big of a problem it was. And I think when we saw the case unravel, there were crimes that were involved that I was like, wow, I didn't even know that happened anymore. For the folks listening, What's an easy way for them to learn more about what zero trafficking does or just the problem in general? I know there's associations out there, but if there's a listener that wants to learn more, Noel, what's the best way for them to do it? Yeah, so the first would be going to zerotrafficking.com. We've got a website that walks you through the things that we do as, as an organization. Um, but there's great resources out there. Uh, FinCEN and, and Treasury put out guidance on how to identify uh, human traffickers with suspicious indicators and red flags. There's the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which is a hotline that if anyone comes in contact with a human trafficking victim or suspects a, a human trafficker, they can report it anonymously to this tip line and that gets funneled to law enforcement agencies. And uh, the, the last is, is Polaris. Polaris is a group that does a lot of the stats related to human trafficking and they've got resources on their website uh, if anyone wants to learn more. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I think, uh, obviously, man, thanks so much for coming out. We're going we're gonna to have you back on again. I think um, one of the things Sean and I are working on is kind of putting a panel of, of different guests in to just have banter about talking about what's going on. So we'll, we'll definitely have you back. And hopefully, I'm going to predict the future. Sean and I do this a lot. There'll be some breaking news here. What's the breaking news going to be? I have a feeling that you might be at a, a currency research event talking about uh, human trafficking. That's that, that's my prediction. Are we breaking news or is it just a prediction, Sean? 
it can happen. We're, we're happy to do it. I'm happy to, to have him. If he wants to come out, we're, we're happy to, to do it. So uh, it could be either at this point, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being on. It's such a great cause. And I, I know um, what you guys do is the work that a lot of people, uh, half of it's probably education. So for you, just educate people what's going on. And then the intelligence method is awesome. So Definitely. Thanks for joining. We'll look forward to having you on again. Any closing words, my friend, Sean? No, I just echo the echo the thanks for for coming on. I mean, I think it, it is, you know, we, we do at a lot of our, our events, Tom, as you know, you know, we end on the podcast too. We we talk about the whole compliance angle and AML and, and everything uh, quite frequently, not just with cash, but especially moving into the, the digital world, right? It's nice to, I mean, obviously, while the, the crime is definitely not a good aspect of it and human trafficking is a horrible thing and but it's hearing about it helps add some like real world impact to what we talk about kind of in theory in terms of like well gee is it more risky or is, is it harder to track and do compliance on x y or z or we need you know just the real life stories behind it and and the real consequences i think adds a, a richness to the discussion so so thanks for coming on it was great and I, I sincerely do hope we can get something together at one of our upcoming events whether it's it's san diego later this year or somewhere else around the world we can definitely make it happen that would be great thanks guys for having me on here <laughs> thank you i just remember everybody i know we say it every time it helps us like subscribe share comment if you want to come on you know how to get sean and i we're not hard to find thanks have a good one Thanks for listening to the Cash News Podcast. We hope you found this episode insightful. Don't forget to like and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and be sure to visit us at thecashnews.com to stay up to date with the latest on the world of cash. Thanks again for listening to the Cash News Podcast.